welcome those who are worshiping with us online today. This is a great service. It's already been good. How about that music? Boy, that was really good, wasn't it? And, and then that, that video woke you up too. I like that. That was really upbeat as well. Well, I'm glad you came. You know, in the traditional service today, we did something. We sang my dentist's favorite hymn today. Crown him with many crowns. We did that just for him. Some of y'all caught that, didn't you? Yeah. We've been talking about the last words of Jesus from the cross. We've been in a seven-week series. This is the last sermon from that series. And I'm not going to ask you if you've been here for all of them. But if you've missed any of them, go back online and watch them. Uh, They were significant people talked about. A lot of people like this series. Did anybody like this series in this service? I want to thank, yeah, I want to thank both of you for that underwhelming response there. Because you and my mother liked it. That was great. Well, you know, some people have famous last words. Have you ever said things you regretted? You said things didn't work out too well? Famous last words. Years ago, and this shows my age, there was an actor named Donald O'Connor. Does anybody remember him at all? No. No, he's, he's too old, isn't he? That's right. So, but, but I'll tell you what he said one time. He said, I'd like to thank the Academy for my Lifetime Achievement Award that I will eventually get. <laughs> so it was a Lifetime Award. You know, explain that to your friends, okay? This really happened. James Rogers, a criminal, was about to be executed by a firing squad, and they asked him, do you have any final request? He said, yes. Would you bring me a bulletproof vest? <laughs> That actually happened. And then General John Sedgwick in the Civil War, he was a commander for the Union Army. He was killed on the battlefield in mid-sentence saying this about the enemy. They couldn't hit an elephant from that dis... Boom, he was shot and killed. That really happened. Well, today I want us to look at the most famous last words of all, the last words of Jesus from the cross. Now, in Luke 23, it says, by this time, it was about noon. You remember Jesus got on the cross at 9, and he came off the cross at 3. We talked about this. And so it's noon, and darkness falls across the whole land until 3. It's very unusual to see darkness from noon to 3. You never see that. Those are the peak hours of the sun, right? And then the light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. That actually happened. That veil was torn. And Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And in some places, he said, and the son of God. Now, the books uh, tell us what he said there, and, and it's significant because this Roman centurion had seen probably hundreds, if not thousands, of crucifixions. But this was unlike anyone he had ever seen. What made this different? He said, it's different because this man is innocent. He's righteous. This man must be the son of God. Now, what did he see and hear at Jesus' crucifixion that made it different from all the others that he had seen? Well, here's one of the things that happened. He heard the last seven things Jesus said on the cross. And that's what we've been talking about through this whole series. 
And those last seven things that he said, it was different from anything anybody else had ever done or said on the cross. He heard Jesus when he gave a word of forgiveness to his executioners. What did he say, Father? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he heard the words of assurance that Jesus gave to the thief on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And he heard the words of love that he gave to his mother Mary and to his friend John, his disciple. You know, what he said to them was, now, Mom, this is John. And John, this is my mother Mary, and I want you to take care of her. And, and Mom, I want you to take care of John. He set that arrangement up. You know, Jesus didn't have anything to leave to his mother. He didn't have anything. He didn't even have any clothes of his to leave to her. He had nothing to give her except care. And he said, I'm going to give you my friend John. I love him. He's going to take care of you, and you take care of him. It's a great relationship. And then he heard Jesus caring for people while he was in agonizing pain. He's worried about his mother and John, and he's being crucified. And he heard Jesus refuse the painkiller when they first put him on the cross at the beginning of the crucifixion. And then he heard Jesus with his final words shout, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. See, Jesus wasn't afraid of dying. He wasn't angry. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't complaining. Why? Because he knew where he was going. He knew he could trust his father to take care of him. He had no unfinished business. One week we looked at it. What did he say? It is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. What's it? The work that he had come to do. He had done it for you and me. And he trusted God with his future. Jesus' death described three statements. First, he gave his life voluntarily. Did y'all ever watch that movie, The Passion, that came out several years ago? There was a lot of controversy. People argued about who was responsible for Jesus' death. Some people said, well, it's the fault of the Roman soldiers. They did it. Other people said, no, it's the religious leaders. They did it. Other people looked and they said, well, no, the crowd. The crowd's responsible. Maybe you could argue that you and I did it by our sins. But I want to clear that up for you today because I can tell you who took Jesus' life? Nobody. Nobody took his life. He laid it down. He volunteered it. Earlier, he had said this in John 10. No one can take my life from me. I lay down my life voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also the power to take it back up again. Jesus laid down his life on Good Friday, and then he took it back up again on Easter Sunday morning. He also gave up his life reverently. When Jesus says, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands, he's quoting Psalm 31. Now, we're going to talk about that a little bit later in this message. But this was the psalm that every Jew prayed at night before they went to bed. Mothers taught their children this prayer, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. Not only did he die voluntarily and reverently, but he died confidently. Notice it says that Jesus shouted these words, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Let me tell you something. I've been in the ministry for over 40 years. 
And I've been around a lot of people when they died. I've been with people, I've been holding their hand when they died. I've been with people where the family came in and we told them goodbye, and it's all right, go to heaven, they're not going to get well. And they were unconscious, but they could hear. And we prayed together, and I've said amen, and people have died. The, the machine just went off. Beep. It just, I've, I've had that happen many times. I've been around a lot of dying people. I've always heard them whisper at death. Sometimes you have to get down real close to hear them. I have never heard somebody shout when they died. But Jesus shouted. He shouted even in the crucifixion. He was shouting victory. Jesus knew where he was going. And Christians have been saying that when they face death. They've been saying what he said for all these years. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. What can we learn from these last words of Jesus? Well, there are four things I've listed for us. And I want us to walk through them because they're all about trust in God. You see, why would we talk about Jesus dying on Easter? Because he rose again. <laughs> he knew where he was going. The first thing we see is that my father loves me. That's number one. Now listen to me. I talk to people all the time that say God can love other people, but God can't possibly love me. I feel guilty. I'm ashamed. I'm a sinful person. God could not love me. And I want to tell you that's a lie from the pit because God does love you. You're his child. Look at the person next to you and point at them and say, you are a child of God. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Now, that's the truth. You really are a child of God. He loves you. And Jesus starts off this wonderful word. He says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Now, notice Jesus is returning to calling God Father. Earlier in the series, what did we say? At that moment when Jesus took all the sins of the world upon himself, what did he do? He called God, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Where are you? What he was saying is, hey, I can't live without you. And that's the moment that God had to look away because he took all the sins of the world. They were separated, but now they've been reconciled. Now the work is over. Now they're together again, and now he goes back to calling him Father. In that moment, he was there. And now he's using the loving term, Abba, Daddy. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Now, what kind of father is God? A lot of times people come and they say, you know, my father was not a good person. My father had a lot of issues. My father had a lot of anger. My father did a lot of bad things. My father, he was just rough on us, and, and they talk about that. And so when we talk about God as a father, they look at that and they say, well, I don't want anything to do with that because it was so negative for me. But what I want you to hear today is that even if your father was not all that you needed him to be, God, our father, is everything we need him to be. Because God is a close father. You don't realize how close he is. He's right here. He can feel your breath when you breathe. He's listening to you. He's watching you. He's closer than you realize. He's a consistent father. Some people are up and down. One day they're happy. One day they're sad. You know, people are mad, different things. He's, all, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a competent father. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. And he knows everything you need, and he just wants to give it to you. He loves you. He's a caring father. I mean, he really does care. He, care, he knows the hairs on your head. He cares more about you than anybody else in the universe. 
and he's compassionate. The Bible says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That's a wonderful thing, that he has compassion for you and me. No matter what I'm going through, I have a father who's perfect, and he loves me. Now, second, my father can be trusted. That's why we call this word the word of trust. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. It wasn't the end. It was the beginning. He was just getting ready to go back and be with God in heaven. And so that's what we're seeing. One of the great questions in life is, who are you going to trust? And however you answer that question will determine if you're happy or you're miserable through life. How many of you would say, you know, I think I'll trust Congress. That's who I'm going to trust with my life. Everybody want to do that? I don't think so. They don't have a high credibility level, do they? How many of you would say, I think I'm going to put my ultimate trust in the media because they'd never lie to me. I can trust them. They're always right, right? How many of you would say, well, I think I'll just trust popular cultural opinion? Well, good luck with that because that changes every day. <laughs> you never know what people are going to believe. How about this? I think I'll just trust myself, you know? I think that I'm just going to trust my emotions. I know what I'm doing. Now, listen, if you trust your emotions, you're going to be manipulated for the rest of your life. When somebody hurts me, how do I feel? I don't feel like forgiving them. I'm just not going to forgive them because my emotions are leading me in my life, but it's the only way to get over it. So I can either act out that way or I can say, no, i got to do the right thing. And maturity will lead me to do the right thing. You better trust somebody who, A, has your best interest, B, knows everything, C, is perfect, and D, will never lie. That kind of narrows it down, doesn't it? There's only one person like that. You've got to trust God because nobody is ever going to always tell you the truth, are they? They're not. I don't care if they're your family and they love you. They're not always going to tell you, does this make me look fat? No, you look great, right? Nobody's ever going to always tell you the truth, but Jesus will. The psalmist says, for the word of the Lord holds true. We can trust everything he does. Now, that word in trust is a Greek word. Yanni, I'm not going to try to pronounce it this week. I'm just going to go on and talk about it. It means to commit. It also means to deposit something for safekeeping for another person. It's a way of saying, I'm entrusting this to my father. I'm entrusting him. He'll take care of me. Whatever you entrust to God, he'll take care of. So here's the question. What do you and I need to entrust to God today? I'm going to tell you. You ready? Whatever you're worrying about is what you need to entrust to God. Did you hear me? You say, well, I don't worry. Oh, yes, you do. And whatever you're worried, think about it. What am I worried about today? If I'm honest, I'm worried. You can entrust it to God. Write this down. Worry is practical atheism. Worry is acting like God doesn't exist. Worry is really unbelief. And he's saying the antidote to worry is to entrust that problem to God. Now, God has a track record of being faithful, but you know, when you and I are in pain and suffering, we're not like Jesus. We don't always want to trust God. All we want to do is focus on our pain and suffering. We were sitting home one night, 
a couple of years ago, we were watching a movie. Let me just tell you how it works at our house, okay? It's Friday night, and this is supposed to be date night, right? So what are we going to do? We're going to order a pizza because they'll deliver it, and we're going to punch in a movie. And then we're going to say which one can stay up the longest and see the whole movie, okay? And they win. So it's Laura and me, and our daughter Catherine is there, and we punched in God is not dead. You remember that movie? It was a good movie. And so we were watching that movie. It had just gotten to the end of the movie. It's still pretty early because we, we started early. We, we know our track record. Right at the end of that movie, Laura said, oh! And she yelled again, and she was serious. And she said, she looked at me, and she said, you got to take me to the emergency room. And Laura doesn't say that. Laura, you need to go to the doctor. No, 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 let's just see if I get better. You know, that's the way she is. Hey, you need to go to the emergency room. No, 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 I'll be fine. That's the way she is. But this time she said, no, you got to take In fact, she threw up before we could even get to the car. We put her in the car. We went to the emergency room. We got there. And I was so impressed. They didn't spend a lot of time asking me about insurance. They figured out what was wrong with her. And they just took her right back. And they started trying to figure out how to treat her. And she grabbed my arm. And she said, if I'm going to be in this much pain, I don't want to live. She had my attention. A few minutes they came back after the x-rays. What did they say? You got a kidney stone. You got a kidney stone, and it's too big to pass, and we're going to blast it out. It's Friday night. We're going to give you some pain medication over the weekend. Monday morning, you're going into the doctor, and we're going to take care of that thing, and that's exactly what happened. But now, listen, she had my attention. She was in pain. Well, Paul knew that even when you're in pain, like Jesus was, they know you've still got to entrust everything to God. I mean, who else are you going to turn to? In 2 Timothy, Paul said, I'm suffering here in prison. He said, but I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. And I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. So I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed until that day. You know, I talk to people all the time who are afraid to give their lives to Jesus Christ. Why? Because they're afraid they can't keep the commitment. My brother-in-law, Glenn Church, was one of those people. He was a mountain man. He, he was a truck driver. He grew up on the mountain. He didn't go to church when he was growing up. But he would go to church with his wife, Laura's sister, and he would go with all of his extended family. In fact, he'd go every Sunday. And when they gave an altar call, he would white-knuckle the pew and cry sometimes because he was not a Christian. And he would talk to you about it. And here was his thing. He thought, that if he made a commitment to Christ, that he was going to have to honor that and be perfect, and he knew he couldn't do that, so he was afraid to do it. That's really what it boiled down to. And even though we'd explained it to him, he just didn't know how to do it. He said that the greatest Christian example that he'd ever seen in his life was his wife, Laura's sister, and they were married for over 50 years. Boy, you talk about a witness. And so he wanted to, but he just didn't know how. He had a truck driver named Buck. And Buck would come every day when he got through at work. He would come in and talk to Glenn. And when Glenn got lung cancer, Buck would witness to him. And one night before Glenn died, Buck was witnessing to him, and he shared the faith with him, and Glenn decided to make a commitment to Christ. And it was genuine. And he went down to the church, and they baptized him. And he had lost weight, and he wasn't long for this world. But you know... He missed out on so many years that he didn't have to live that way. I'm thankful that he was saved because here's what I want you to understand. Your salvation and mine 
is not based on you keeping your commitment. Why? Because we're human and we're going to fail, aren't we? But it's based on Christ keeping his commitment to you. Whatever he tells you, if it's a promise, it's his word, he's going to keep it. You can count on it. He's not a liar. He's going to tell you the truth. Paul says, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. Now, sometimes people come to me and they say, have I ever committed unpardonable sin? I asked my mother that question when I was about 10 years old. I'd heard about it. I wanted to know, Mama, have I ever committed unpardonable sin? At 10 years old, she said, no, son, you've done a lot of bad things in your life. But you hadn't committed the unpardonable sin. I said, how do you know? She said, because you're not dead. As long as you're alive, you can ask God to forgive you. It's when you don't ever give him the chance to forgive you. That's why it's unpardonable, because you never ask. And so he can never forgive, because he's waiting on you to ask. It's up to you. Your mama can't do it for you. You've got to make that decision yourself. And so you have not committed the unpardonable sin. You can ask God for forgiveness. And so Easter proves that there is life after death. You have a heavenly father who loves you, is worthy of your trust. You can entrust everything to him. Now third, my father is doing things I can't see. You know, you are more than a body. You are a soul. Point to the person next to you and say, you have a soul. I mean, that's good news, isn't it? See, when, you're, when you die, what happens? Your body is buried in the ground, but your soul or spirit lives on for all eternity. Now, let me just tell you, that's good news to me. I don't know about you, but for me, that's good news because I've seen my body. I, I don't want to take it to heaven. I'm just delighted to take my spirit and leave this old thing behind. How about you? Can I get an amen there? Yeah, that's right. That's true. Because you don't want that. And see, there's a battle of good and evil that's going on all the time. We don't see it, but it's there. And Job says, when he is at work in the north, he said, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. What's he talking about? God wants to purify you and me as gold. Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In other words, whatever problem you're going through right now, God has a purpose for it. Yesterday I was flipping channels yesterday afternoon. I saw that movie, The Soul Surfer, about the girl who, really true story, and she was in that movie, and the shark bit her arm off, and she was talking to her youth minister. And she said, well, if God has a plan, then what kind of plan does he have? Why did he let that shark take my arm off? Carrie Underwood played the part of the youth minister. She said, honey, I don't know, but I know he's got a purpose for your life. And sure enough, that girl, she went on a mission trip, and she saw there was more to life than surfing. And she talked to people who had lost loved ones and been through a horrible, horrible tsunami. And because of that, she came back, and she said, you know, there's more to life. And she became a witness for God. She learned to serve with one arm. And, and then her whole life, she won awards, but her whole life was about witnessing for Jesus Christ. You know, it was a purpose beyond what she could see. It said, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's the stuff I can't see that God does behind the scenes. 
there was a small town, and there was a man who lived there, and his name was Mr. Klein. Mr. Klein was always kind of a loner. He, all his family had died. He didn't have any friends. He just seemed to stay home more and more. The children in town would, would make up rhymes about him because they were afraid of him. People in town, they didn't know how to, to treat him. They didn't really know him. And one day he was walking down the sidewalk one evening, and he was feeling sorry for himself. And he walked past the church, and they had the windows up in the church, and they were singing. And this is what he heard. Jesus died for all mankind, and Jesus died for me. And he stopped right there where he was. And when he heard that phrase, for all mankind, it sounded to him like they were saying, for old man Klein. And so he just went inside and he gave his life to Jesus and he found friends and a family and it changed his whole life because Jesus really did die for old man Klein. Now the fourth thing, my father can handle anything I give him. Father, I entrust my spirit to your hand. You can trust him with your life. 2,000 years later, we still use that phrase. You're in good hands with you may not even have Allstate, but you know that commercial, don't you? You're in good hands with Allstate. What does it mean? Hey, you can trust us. We'll take care of you. You're in good hands with us. Many people don't know the prayer, now I lay me down to sleep. This is the scripture I spoke about earlier in the sermon. We'll come back here, I said. You remember, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake... I pray the Lord my soul to take. That's what every Jewish person prayed every night. It's scripture, and that's what mothers taught their children. Father, I entrust my spirit. I entrust my soul into your care. And this is not just a statement when you're dying. This is a statement every day of your life. You can apply this. Hey, if you're afraid, you can say, I entrust my spirit to you. If you're worried... If you've got a big decision to make, if you're stressed out, if you're angry, if you're hurt, if you're confused, if you don't know which way to turn, if you're lonely, if you're ashamed, if you're filled with regret, Father, I place my life in your hands. And it's a prayer we can pray for the rest of our lives. There's a minister that lives in Southern California. I've read many of his books. He's a Ph.D., but he's also very relational. I've heard him speak both on video and live. I've been to his church. His name is John Ortberg. If you ever find a book by him, buy it. It's good. He's a great guy. Well, he was on his day off. He was out surfing one day, and there weren't any people hardly at all at the beach, except for this one huge guy on the beach who was practicing martial arts. He was so big, he didn't need martial arts. I mean, he could just take care of anybody. They would just look at him and leave him alone, okay? After he'd been out there for a while, this tiny little boy pulled up beside him on his little surfboard. He paddled up there, and John was amazed. He said that kid was so little, he didn't even need a surfboard on the ocean out there. He said he could just had a Frisbee and stepped out and stood on it out there on the ocean. He said his name was Shane, and John asked him how long he'd been surfing. He said, seven years. He said, how old are you? He said, eight. <laughs> he'd been surfing all of his life, hadn't he? He said, here's what I like about surfing. You meet all kinds of nice people out here. It's just a relaxing place to be. They talked a little bit longer. And he said, well, Shane, how did you get here today? He said, oh, my dad brought me. And he turned around and he waved to that big Goliath on the beach who was doing martial arts. And the dad waved back and said, hi, son. And then John knew why Shane was so at home on the ocean. 
It wasn't his size, and it wasn't his skill, but it was because his daddy was sitting on the beach. His father was always watching him, and his daddy was big. Shane wasn't really alone at all, and neither are we. God is always with us, and we can trust him. Let us pray. God, I pray that we might see the truth of your word, that you are always there for us, and that we will trust you with our lives. I pray in your son's name. Amen.